are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing, I love that right there. Having then gifts differing. It doesn't say if we have gifts. Thank God it doesn't say if we have gifts. If it said if we have gifts, then we could all come to church with this thought process. Well, I wonder if I have a gift. But we don't ever have to ask that question. You never have to ask the question when you come and you hook up with the vision and get involved in church. I wonder if I have a gift. Do I have a gift? You don't have to ask that question. No, the question that we ought to ask then is, what is my gift and how can I use it? Because he states right here, having gifts differing. That means we all have gifts, but they're different. Which means we all need each other. That means I need your gift. That means you need my gift. That means you need so-and-so's gift. We all need each other's gifts. Everybody has a gift. There's no question of, do I have a gift or not? The question is, is what is my gift, and how can I fulfill that assignment? That's the question. There is no room for anyone to come to church and sin. There are people that do it, but there is no room for that. Because everyone has a gift to put towards the body of Christ and to find a fit. Everybody, every single individual. In fact, you'll find that uh, some of your greatest satisfaction in life will will come from your role in your church and your assignment there. I know people that are uh, uh, very uh, satisfied, very developed in their personal life, Uh, in their businesses, in their careers, in their homes. But some of the greatest satisfaction they have in life is coming to church and just serving, whether it be ushering, whether it be working with the children, whether it be uh, helping with sound or on the worship team, whatever it is, that's their greatest fulfillment. And if you took that away, they would feel empty. Not their career, not their schooling, not their background, not their family. If you took away my role in the church, now I feel empty. And that's how it should be for all of us. So he says here, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy. With cheerfulness. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is the other chapter, the other reference we've been looking at throughout this series. And in verse 12, it says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. Does it feel like he's repeating himself here? Does it feel like there's some reiteration going on? Does it feel like he's hammering in you? One body, many members. One body, many members. He's cultivating this thing within you. So also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews, Greeks, slaves, or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And uh, those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on those we we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts, a greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are 
the body of Christ and members individually. So these are the key passages we've been looking at. We've been looking at the body of Christ. Remember, we spent quite a while talking about the church. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. And when we talk about church, we're not talking about we're not talking about an event. We're not talking about a place or a building or a location. We're talking about a people group, the body of Christ, his church, his nation, his people. First Peter chapter 2 verse 9 says that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, chosen generation, set apart, established, founded by God himself. And so we see here that God is not trying to raise up an event or a a place to go to or a building. He's raising up a people. So when we look at the body of Christ as a people, when we look at church as a people, then our question should be, what is my role and how do I work with someone else? So we have to tackle this subject of working together. In churches, Uh, it seems to be one of the places where we have the least unity sometimes, where we have the least togetherness sometimes, the least uh, uh, thought process that I'm working with someone else. And we can't allow that to take place because when God sees his church and when he sees you as an individual, he always sees you in connection to someone else. Always. He always sees you in the role you play and how that's connected with the role that someone else plays. We, look, we saw in the Old Testament that when, uh, when someone, when an individual in, a nation, in the nation of Israel would sin or defy God or do something wrong, he didn't just go to the one individual. He went to the entire nation. You remember in school when you know, you're in class and you're the good one, you're doing what's right, but there's a couple bad ones. And the teacher comes back, and the entire class has to sit out five minutes from recess because one person did something. That's how God sees it. Well, that's unfair. No, that's how God sees it because he doesn't see you out alone all by yourself. He sees you in connection with everybody else that you're connected with. You don't look at me and say, oh, hey, Pastor Mark's head. Hey, Pastor Mark's arms. Hey, Pastor Mark's stomach. Hey, Pastor Mark's legs. No, you say, hey, Pastor Mark, in all of me is in the one statement. And God is the same way with his church. We are the body of Christ. Get this, when God addresses Jesus or when he addresses Christ, he's addressing you. When he says Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, guess who else he's talking to? You. Because he's not just saying Jesus Christ, the head is seated at the right hand of the Father. He says Jesus Christ, the head and the body are seated at the right hand of the Father. When he says that all things have been placed under his feet, guess who else's feet all things are placed under? Yours. See, we don't act like that. We don't talk like that. We don't walk like that. We don't walk like everything's under our feet. We act like everything's under Jesus' feet, and Jesus, please do something about it. And he's saying, you do something about it because you're my body in the earth. If it's under my feet, it's under your feet. If, If I'm seated at the right hand of the Father above all principality and power, then you're seated at the right hand of the Father. If I have been given all authority, you've been given all authority. Why? Because God never addresses Jesus, his son, without addressing the church, his body. He never does. So when you go through this Bible and you see Jesus being addressed, and he says, I am the light of the world, guess who who else is the light of the world? The church. When he addresses his son and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, guess who else is the way, the truth, and the life? Well, that that sounds... uh, Sounds like you're making yourself out to be God. No, I'm not God. I'm Jesus Christ in the earth today. Oh, you're Jesus. No, I'm not the man Jesus. I'm Jesus, the word that existed long before he showed up in the planet. See, this is, this is missing. The church doesn't view themselves as Jesus. If Jesus can take care of it, you can take care of it. 
God never makes a separation. We make the separation. We're the ones that separate ourselves from the head. We're the ones that separate ourselves from Jesus, the head of the church. We're the ones that take the body and place it over here and take the head and place it over here. But the head and the body are never in two separate places. If they end up in two separate places, you become decapitated and you die. And a church that is separated from the head is dead. That's why we have to identify what the church looks like. Because how can I talk to you about the church if you don't know what Jesus looks like? If you don't know who Jesus is, if you don't understand that you're the body of Christ, you will never be the church that he talked about. I'm not talking about the church that we talk about. I'm talking about the church that he talked about. Jesus said, I will build my church. And the church that he's building is his body, the body of Christ in the earth. So we have to talk about working together because we know if my body at any point starts to work against myself, we've got a problem. But no, this entire body, all its different functions, all its different members, every part of my body works in one accord for the same purpose, same mission, same vision. My hand does not wake up with an opinion about what it's going to do today. My hand does whatever the head says it needs to do. My legs did not wake up this morning with its own agenda and its own mission and its own vision. Because my legs probably would not have made it here. My legs probably wanted to stay in the bed this morning. My legs probably wanted to take the day off this morning. But no, the head said, we're going to church. So my legs lined up with the vision of the head. My legs didn't make up its own purpose, its own agenda today. But again, if any part of my body is disconnected from the rest of the body, it can't fulfill its function. Yet for some reason, we uh, uh, have this idea in churches that we can come in and do our own thing, but we're just as connected as everybody else. I'll, I'll, I'll... I'll let you know where I can serve, when I can serve, how I can serve. And, uh, you know, I'm still just as connected as anybody else. No, you're not. Because my legs didn't wake up and say, this is how I'm going to, okay, you know, we'll go to church. um, But you know what? Uh, We're going to do it this way. And at this time. It's the body of Christ. The body of Christ. There's no part of the body that has its own agenda and has its own will and its own desire. It does everything the way the head wants it to. Everything. We have a word for that. When everyone is grouped together around the same cause and going towards the same vision, there's a word for that. Anyone know what that word is? Unity. Unity. Unified, being a unified body means that we all rally around one cause, one vision, one mission. That's what it means to be unified. And so God is looking for unity in his body. Go to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. This is a prayer that Jesus prayed right before he's taken up. This is... Look, when you know you're about to die, the stuff you're saying, it's the most important stuff you can get out. You're not rambling on. You're not just spitting out, you know, random stuff. You Look, come here. I got to talk to you. I got I to gotta get some information to you before I go. And that's where Jesus is. Well, if we could get the arrow going, that'd be awesome. John uh, 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is having one of the most uh, closest conversations, one of the most intimate conversations he has in his entire life with his disciples at the Last Supper. And he brings up a few things. One, he talks about love. He talks about love. He also talks about uh, uh, you being in me and I being in you. I'm the vine, you're the branches. You dwell in me. And I dwell in you. And 
then he also talks about the Holy Spirit, and he identifies the four works of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 15 and 16, he says, I will send to you another helper, another comforter. So now in John chapter 17, he goes out by himself. This is what he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is where, uh, you know, he starts sweating drops of blood. But look at what he's praying. First of all, beginning in John chapter 17, he's praying for himself. And he says, you know, Father, I thank you. I've accomplished the vision. You've given me all authority. You, you sent me here for a purpose, and I've done that. And then uh, 6 through 19, he prays for his disciples, those that were connected with him, the 11 that were remaining. But now watch this in verse 20. He says, I do not pray for these alone, these alone being the 11 that remain, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Do you realize that you are here as a product of what the 11 disciples went out and did? You can trace back all of us believing, no matter who you heard the gospel from, whether it be your parents, whether it be your pastor, whether it be someone on on the road, on the street, whatever. You can trace it all the way back to the original 11 that went out. So he says right here, I don't just pray for the 11, but I pray for all those who will believe in me through their word. He's praying for you. He's praying for every believer. Now notice, he has prayed for himself, he has prayed for his disciples, and he has prayed for believers. Who has he not prayed for? The world. He's not praying for the world. He's not praying for the world. He's praying for himself. Strength to finish and accomplish the vision, the vision that God gave him. He's praying for his disciples, and he says, I don't pray that you take them out of the world. I pray that you keep them from the evil one. And then he says, and I don't, I don't only pray for those 11, but I also pray for anybody else who believes in me for the rest of time. But he's not praying for the world. That they may all be one. This is his prayer for his church, for his body. That they all may be one. And he qualifies it. I love it when Jesus qualifies it. He doesn't say, love your neighbor. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't just say, love one another. He says, love one another as I have loved you. He gives you a qualifier. So you don't have the right to love people how you want to love them. You have to love them the way he loved you. You don't have the right to love your neighbor however you want. You have to love him the way you would love yourself. If you wouldn't do it to yourself, then don't do it to him. If you would do that thing for yourself, then you would do that for your neighbor. He's qualifying it. And now he says here, I pray that they all may be one. But it's not unity or one on our own standards. It's unity and oneness on his standards. How? As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. He says here, he's not praying for the world, but he says here, the world will believe that I have come from the Father when the church gets in unity. See, we didn't think that our unity had anything to do with the world. We thought that this was just about us as a church. But when we gather together as one, in one mind, one accord, the world will believe. It'll be a light and a sign to the world. People will believe in God and in Jesus, his son, who died on the cross and rose again when we gather together in unity. So he qualifies it. He says, I want them to be one just as you and I 
are one. Now, we know that it's not just God and Jesus. We know that. There's a third. The Holy Spirit. How, the Holy Spirit's not mentioned in this verse. He's not named in the verse. But is the Holy Spirit there? The Holy Spirit's in the verse. He's the one that inspired the verse to be written. He's the one that inspired this to be written. So he's there. So he says, I want them, the church, to be one just as you and I are one. And what's the term that we have for Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? The Trinity. The Trinity is our example of what the church in unity should look like. If you want an example of what a church in unity looks like, we don't have to go any further than the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, here's the thing about being plugged up, being plugged in. See, I could, this room, say it was sweltering hot, say it was 90 degrees in here. And I brought a fan in. And I brought that fan in here, and I set it right here. And stood it right there in the middle of the room. Would that relieve anybody's heat? Just the fan just sitting in the middle of the room. What's got to happen so the fan can be productive and help us with our heat problem? We got to plug it in. Got to get plugged up. Then it'll become profitable. The fan brings no relief to anybody just by sitting in the room. It's a fan. It has all the potential and all the ability inside of it to cool you off. But until it's plugged up until it's connected, until it's working together with another source. There's no life to the fan until it gets connected to the power source. There's no life to us as believers until we get connected. Look, we ought to be able to come to church and we ought to be able to receive life from each other through our relationship, through our conversation, there should be so much encouragement, exhortation, edification going on in this place that before I even get up here, you've already been encouraged and you've already received life because we get plugged in and we get connected. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron. Iron sharpens iron. That means my iron and your iron coming together, we should be able to sharpen each other. It's one thing that I love with Pastor Earl when I was on staff with him, and we still do it today. I Skype now. Obviously, I'm not there in person. And one thing that he always made time for in our staff meetings was iron sharpening iron. It wasn't just to come together and talk about, uh, you know, yesterday's service and, you know, how many people came and what events do we have coming up and how can we do this better. That wasn't our staff meeting. We would do that stuff, the administrative stuff, do it up front. And then towards the end, what are you getting in the word this week? What, what, what's God been speaking to you? And iron sharpening iron. And we just discuss the word. And then we pray. You'd be surprised at how many church staff don't take time to do that. You'd be surprised that all the study of the word, all the discussion of the word is done on their own quiet time. But yet we would come together and it brought a, 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 a grouping, it brought a togetherness, a camaraderie with each other. You'd be surprised that some staffs that the children's pastor and the youth pastor, they don't get along. Because they're always dabbling in each other's areas and stay out of my area. This is my area. That's one thing he said. We are, we are not departmentalized. You don't have your department. Well, I'm the youth pastor. I just take care of the youth. Well, I'm the children's pastor. I just do the children. No, we don't just do anything. 
We do what the vision requires and what's necessary to accomplish the vision that God has given us. Iron sharpening iron. So we ought to be coming together, and we should be sharpening each other. Not degrading each other. Not diminishing each other. But when we get that fan in the room, and we hook it up, we plug it up, then it becomes profitable. Then it becomes uh, uh, productive to the overall need. Amen. So John chapter 17 Uh, Jesus says, I pray that they be one, Father, just as you and I are one. So let's take a little look. Let's take a glimpse of what the Trinity looks like and how well they work together. Because here's the thing. They each have their specific roles. In fact, the Trinity is apparent all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. The first verse says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But then we go to the next verse, and we find out that God wasn't alone. God didn't do it by himself. We talked two weeks ago, uh, the title of our message was Deficient by Design. Deficient by Design. God has created all of us to be deficient by design. That means not any person in here can do it all. There's not one person in this room, including myself, that can do it all, all by myself. And accomplish the vision. There are some people that try to do it all by themselves, but they're not accomplishing the vision. They're hurting it. So we see at the very beginning of the Bible, God shows up. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but he wasn't alone. Verse 2, we see that the spirit was hovering over the face of the deep. Then, we see that it says, and he said, let there be light. Oh, that's just God's word. Well, who's God's word? What does John chapter 1 verse 14 say? And the word became flesh. So there's the son of God. So now we've got God the father, and he's planning this whole thing out. We've got Jesus who's actually performing it. The son of God is performing it through his word. And then we have the Holy Spirit who is kind of putting the finishing touches on it, and he's the one that's revealing the vision. Well, this has never changed. Could you imagine a mess that could take place if at any time any part of the Trinity decided to try to support its own agenda? I mean, we're in the middle of creating the universe. We're in the middle of creating the world. Stars, sun, moon. Could you imagine if at any time the Holy Spirit said, you know what, I I really think that trees should go here. I really think that the sun should be for the nighttime and the moon should be for the daytime. I, and, and Jesus says, you know what? I, I don't know if I'm all, I don't know if I'm all right with all this water. Let's just have dry land. We, we don't need water. Could you imagine if at any time they each decided to try to do their own thing? Wouldn't happen. The vision and the mission would not be accomplished. So we have to be one, just as the Father and the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit all work in unity as one. John chapter 5, verse 30. In John chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus is speaking. He says, I can of myself do nothing. He says, I can't get outside of what my Father's telling me to do. I can't do it by myself. He's even, look, He's saying right here, I am deficient by design. Oh, but Jesus was perfect. Jesus was perfect because he followed what his father said to do. Not even Jesus tried to get out on his own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will 
Father who sent me. Now look, picture this. Jesus is now on the earth. Jesus is on the earth in the flesh. God is in heaven. And remember, because of Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God cannot come or do anything in the earth without using a man. How easy would it have been for Jesus to undermine his father's authority and do his own will and his own purposes and the king, the father in heaven, could do nothing about it? How easy. For Jesus to say, you know what, I'm the one down here. I'm the one having to deal with these crazy people. I'm the one having to live around all this. I'm the one having to, I'm the one healing everybody. I'm the one. And he not once made that statement. He said, I only do what my father tells me to do. I only go where my father. You know how many times it could have been easy for him to say, you know what, I'm not going. I'm not going to Samaria. Samaritans don't like me. Jews, we don't like them. I'm not going in there. Yet he does, and he ministers to a Samaritan woman and ends up getting the entire town. He could have said, you know what, we're not going to the other side. We don't need to go to the other side of the lake. For one, there's a storm coming that's going to try to kill us. For two, as soon as I land over there, there's a crazy demon-possessed man that's going to come and try to attack me. I'm not going over there. There's plenty of people I, I can minister to over here. Not once did he have his own agenda. Not once did he have his own will. And he was in a position where he could. But he says, no, I only do what my father tells me. And then... He says, I do the will of the Father who sent me. He recognized the Father's role. He recognized this is what my Father does. He never said, well, God, why don't you just go ahead and come on down? Why do I got to die? Why don't you die? Why don't you come and kill yourself? Why don't you come and give up your own life? Why do I got to do it? No, he understood. The Father has You didn't come here because you just figured that'd be a good place to go to church. You're not here because, uh, you know, someone invited you. You're here because the Holy Spirit drew you and you found, God, this is where you want me to be. Because the Bible says you are in the body as it pleases him. It pleases the Father. When you get in the role and the assignment that he has sent you. God is sending people to this church even right now as I speak. That God is moving in people's lives, on people's hearts, and he is sending them here to perform a specific role and a specific function in this body. Because it pleases him when they get in that assignment and they get in that place. I don't go anywhere without being sent. I didn't come here because I, my wife and I felt like venturing out and decided to settle down in Valdosta. My wife, did, my, my wife and I didn't come here because, uh, you know, we, we saw a church that, you know, needed a pastor. We, we were just so hungry to pastor. The first thing that came up, let's go do it. My wife and I came here because we were sent here by God himself. And if I am still in St. Augustine, no matter what role or function I'm performing there, no matter how profitable it seems to be in the natural, it's not pleasing to the Father. And I have no right to get up and leave unless I'm sent. You have no right to get up and go. Well, we're just tired of that church. We want to go down and try another one. Did he send you or is that on your own accord? That's the body of Christ. That's the church. My my hand has no right to just get up and leave. But there are times where you have to send it. There are times 
where you have to put something off because it's got infection. If we don't take care of it, it's going to spread to the rest of the body. And so to save the entire body, we have to get rid of this one piece. But we don't ever want to get to that point. So we don't do anything unless we are sent. The only way we operate is in unity with the head, with the father. I remember there was a minister that came in and did some uh, staff stuff with us one time, and, and he told us three identifications uh, or three things that need to happen when someone leaves your church to fulfill a role. And one of them was the head will always get it first. The head will always get it first. You're going to tell me that God's going to reposition someone in the body and not inform the pastor that we've got to make this change or make this adjustment? You've got to tell me that God is operating and telling somebody in the body to go do something or be somewhere, but he's not going to bother to tell the head that he has put over that flock, the shepherd, I'm going to take one of your sheep and place them here, and the sheep's going to tell the shepherd where to go, and the shepherd has no say-so. The shepherd has no idea. God does not operate that way. It's not our own idea. It's not where we feel comfortable. It's not where we like to be. It's not what we think is good for our family. But I tell you, the most comfortable, best place for you to be is in the will of God and in his agenda and in his assignment at the right time and at the right place. I'm not saying God doesn't reposition people because we were repositioned and we have people that are being repositioned here. But there is a protocol and a system and an order to how God does it, how he makes it happen. So we're to be one as the Father and Jesus are one. Now let's look at the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's still in this equation. And Jesus goes into depth about the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, 15, and 16, I told you earlier that he says, I'm going to send to you another comforter. Notice that the Holy Spirit doesn't even show up until he's sent. He, he didn't show up in Acts chapter 2 and say, I, I just think this is a good day to come upon people. And to fill them with the Holy Spirit. I think this is a good day. You know, it's, it, it just seemed right. You know, we got a bunch of people up in, a, in a, a waiting room, in the upper room. They're all just hanging out. Let's just go ahead and drop the bomb. Let's do it. No, he was sent. Sent. Jesus sent another helper. John chapter 14, verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. Jesus is saying, I have said these things while I've been among you, while I've been hanging out with you. But watch this. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance what? All the things I have said. The Holy Spirit's not even speaking on his own initiative here. He's not even showing up and saying, all right, it's about time I was able to get myself down here. Now let me tell you what's up. No, he says, hey, everything that Jesus, the son, had to tell you, I'm here to help remind that, remind you of that. I'm here to bring that to your remembrance. I'm not saying anything on my own accord. I'm not saying anything out of my own agenda or my own will. I am saying what God the Father wants to communicate through his son to you. He will teach you all things. He will guide you into all truth. He will bring things to your remembrance. He will show you things to come. Those are the four works of the Holy Spirit. And he's doing none of them on his own accord. He's not doing any of that by himself. He is operating in line with the Father by being sent, and then he's only communicating what Jesus had been communicating for the three and a half years of his ministry. See, the Holy Spirit's actually very simple to identify. We've made the Holy Spirit a spooky thing, and, and when he speaks, do we really know it's the Holy Spirit? Do we, 
go back here because you can always confirm it with what Jesus said, the word, because the Holy Spirit's not going to say anything outside of the word. He's not going to operate on his own initiative. He's not a demon. He's the Holy Spirit, not an evil spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit is going to come on me. He's going to make me do all kinds of funny stuff. No, demons make you do funny stuff. Demons are the ones that possess you and control you. Evil spirits possess you. The Holy Spirit does not possess you. He's just saying, hey, this is what my, this is what Jesus said when he was here. This is what the Father sent me to tell you. This is what the Father told me to do. I don't know if that's the Holy Spirit. Well, is it God? Because the three work together in unison. John chapter 15, verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he says it twice. The helper comes from the Father, not on his own initiative, not to do what he wants to do, not showing up when he wants to show up. He is sent by the Father. The spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, Jesus. Jesus says, everything I've been saying to you, he is going to continue to say that. Because the, in, because the Holy Spirit hasn't shown up and said, I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. John chapter 16 and verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he, here it is, will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. The Holy Spirit is only speaking what he hears. And who, he, who is he hearing it from? The Father. When the Holy Spirit speaks in your life, that means God is trying to get something to you and trying to communicate something to you, and he's using the Holy Spirit to communicate that. And the Holy Spirit has not shown up to undermine Jesus' authority. Well, yeah, that was Jesus, you know, when Jesus was here. But Jesus ain't here no more. I'm here. So now there's a new sheriff in town. No, the same sheriff has been in town the whole time. The same sheriff was here when God was in control. Then the same sheriff was here when Jesus was in control. And now the same sheriff is still here today when the Holy Spirit is in control. He's not doing anything on his own initiative. He's not doing anything on his own authority. He's not here to undermine the authority. He's not here to diminish value to, the, to God the Father and Jesus the Son. He's here to add value. You add value when you hook up with the body of Christ. When you get plugged up, you add value. A fan that's just sitting in the room doing nothing is just taking up space. But the second we get it plugged in, it now adds value to the overall vision. What's the vision? I'm burning up. Somebody please cool this place down. Nobody wants to look at a fan. That's one of the most, just get the fan out of my sight. Just get it out of here. I don't even want the fan in here. Don't sit a fan in front of me that could cool me off and it doesn't work. Anybody ever been in a house with no AC? Anybody been in a car with no AC? I hate that. I'm from Texas, man. I do not like the heat to that extent. Now, if I had to pick or choose snow or heat, we're going with the sun all day long, man. Melt that, melt that stuff away, heat it up. But I don't want to be sitting in a car that has the potential to cool me off. It's got vents staring at me as I drive down the road, burning my back on the back of this seat. It's got knobs that I could just turn all day long, blow it as high as possible, but they don't work. Nobody wants to be around that. You want to be around something that's productive. You want to be around something that brings profit, that adds value. 
I don't care what kind of car it is. If it doesn't have AC, keep it. Well, here's a brand new Mercedes, but it doesn't have any AC. I'm all right. I don't need it. It does nothing for me. What? You just lost value with me. You, that car has no value to me because what I consider valuable is something being profitable. Here's a Mercedes, but it doesn't have a steering wheel. Here's a BMW, but there's no tires. We, we lose value when just it's still a BMW. The majority of the car is there, but we just miss one member. One member. See, our assignments are important to the body of Christ. Our assignments are important to building the church. We're going to talk about that next week because the Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That God is actually building his house and he's using you and I as the bricks and the mortar and the sheetrock and the windows. He's using you you and I as the plumbing and the electrical. We are the ones and how he's getting the thing done. That's why our assignments and our roles are so important to the vision of the body of Christ. I should not be the only one waking up on Sunday morning thinking church. It should be the body waking up thinking church. What's my role? What's my fit? What's my assignment? I tell people in our vision partnership all the time, this isn't to demean your value to the church and and, and who you are. But when I see new people walk through that door, I see gifts. I see assignments. I see roles. My question is, what do you have to bring? It's not about me personally. All right. Hey, how you doing? Nice to meet you. Hey, we need help in the kids. No, it doesn't work that way. Because there is a equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. But I don't see anyone as just taking up another seat. One of the ministers this past week, Tony Cook, had an amazing statement. He said, I believe the anointed services that we are in in the last days will not be for the body so much to receive as it will be for anointed service so we can become distributors. We did a message when we talked about the church. We said there's takers and there's givers. We should come with a mode of of, of, of giving, not just receiving. You'll receive something. But I'll tell you what, you'll find that most times you'll receive something the greatest when you've been putting something out. When you've been making investment, look, it's hard to withdraw when you've been making no investment. It's hard to go to the bank and ask for $100 when you've only put in 50 There's investment. There's got to be a giving. The church is here to serve. Jesus came to serve. He said, I haven't come into the world so that people could serve me. I have come so I can serve them. Well, if that's about Jesus and we're the body of Christ, then that has to be about us. We are here not for the world to serve us. We're here to serve the world. I don't care if the world never gets what the church is here for. You know, every time God showed up in the earth, they, no one ever got him. They killed prophets when they showed up in his name. They killed John the Baptist when he showed up. They killed Jesus when he showed up. They killed the disciples when they continued to be the body of Christ. The world is not going to get you, but we're here to serve them anyhow. We're not here so the world can understand why we do what we do. I'm not here for that. I'm here to be a light in darkness. And the darker you get, the brighter I'm going to shine. But I'm going to tell you, we're not going to change anything out there if we don't get it together in here. 
churches that operate in dysfunction out there is because they operate in dysfunction in here. And there's just no time for it. The body of Christ is to be a unified body, one mind, one accord, all helping the same vision, the same accomplishment. We've been called to Valdosta, Georgia. We've been called here. We've been assigned here. This wasn't just a, you know, thing on the map. I, I saw one minister, they, they mapped out uh, 10 different locations, and they just picked one. And they just happened to pick the one that's the fastest growing city in the United States. If that's the way God tells you to do it, then good for you. But God has assigned us to Valdosta. That means that, and look, there's plenty of churches. It's real easy to drive through this town and say, no, this place is good. But apparently God saw something that needs to happen through this vision, through this church, and I'm just a part to play in it. How about you? I'm just playing a part. I'm not the church. You didn't come to hear me. You came to be equipped so we could take the light into a dark world. Look, we don't have to change the world. You just need to change your world. We get focused on, man, I wish I could do something in Boston. I wish I could do something, uh, you know, uh, overseas. I wish I could do something in this country. When God's saying, your world is just as dark as all the rest of them. There are people that live right next to you. There are people that you work with. There are people that go to your schools. There's people that work with you. There's people that live around you. There's people that shop with you. And they are just as dark as anywhere else. But we get to bring light. Amen? We get to be a light in darkness. Father, I thank you this morning. You've called us to work together. And by working together, we've got to get connected. Father, we've got to get plugged in. We've got to get hooked up. You have roles, assignments, purposes, plans, uh, designs for us, Father, to fulfill in the kingdom of God. So, Father, we make it our goal. We make it our uh, life's goal to seek after you, to seek your will, to seek your way, to get involved. Whatever it is that you would have us put our hand to, Father. If it means we need to learn to do something, then we'll learn to do it. If it means we need to get out of a comfort zone and maybe do something that's uncomfortable, then we'll do it, Father. Because the people are more important than how we feel. Your world, this earth that is lost, dying, going to hell, is more important than how comfortable we feel. So, Father, we take on that assignment. We take on that role. We take it wholeheartedly. We own it. The vision is our vision. It's not the vision of one individual. It's the vision of everybody pursuing the same thing. Father, we love you. We thank you for the power that you have placed within your church. We're not limited. We're limitless. We're not powerless. We're powerful. And Father, we walk in everything that you have for us because we get plugged in, because we connect with your vision. In Jesus' name, amen.